Welcome to Building the Future, Freedom, Prosperity, and Foreign Policy, a podcast series focused on updating the United States soft power playbook to meet the hopes and aspirations of developing countries because it's in America's interest to do so. I'm Dan Rundy, Senior Vice President at CSIS. There are a lot of global challenges out there, so let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of Building the Future with Dan Rundy. Today, I'm joined by Mr. Atul Tandon, the CEO of the nonprofit Opportunity International. Prior to joining Opportunity International, Atul founded and served as the CEO of the Tandon Institute, which provides strategy, solutions, and staffing to enable social sector enterprises. Before that, Atul served as the leader of United Way's worldwide 41-country international network. Prior to his leadership roles in the nonprofit sector, Atul had a very successful career in the global financial services industry. He helped launch Citibank's consumer banking franchise in India. In 2019, Atul's lifelong leadership was recognized by IdeaGen's Global Leadership Award. And in 2021, he received Nonprofit Pro's Lifetime Achievement Award, honoring his decades of service to those living in extreme poverty. Atul, I'm so happy to have you on Building the Future with Dan Rundy. Thank you so much, Dan. Excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so pleased. Tell me about your background. How did you get started in nonprofit work? Great question, Dan. I grew up in India. I am, of course, uh, you know, Indian descent, Indian American, if you will, and uh, born into uh, literally a two-room tenement home in uh, the inner city of Delhi. And... uh, Grew up with a family of limited means. My father's only mode of transportation while I was growing up was a bicycle. And, uh, you know, somehow, thanks to, to the Indian government's focus in education, ended up getting uh, a terrific education uh, and uh, made my way. I was the first person in my entire family, many generations, to go into the marketplace. Uh, you know, my, my family comes from an old uh, warrior family. And you know, that marketplace career led me to an MBA uh, from the University of Delhi, which uh, then uh, made its way to the financial services industry, launched my first company when I was 26, and then uh, joined cities, uh, Citibank startup businesses in India. And uh, they brought me to the U.S. then, 1992, to help turn around their American, you know, what we were doing in California at that time. Eventually ran Citi's uh, branch network around the world, based out of New York. And I was about 40 years old, midlife crisis, uh, asked myself the question, uh, what gives me the deepest satisfaction? And the answer that came back to me, and I, I think when we ask ourselves, you know, sometimes we are ourselves surprised, was to go back to the people I had grown up with and help them, you know, follow the same path that I had to, you know, some notoriety and prominence uh, and opportunity and prosperity. Uh, and so I decided to leave banking and go back and serve the world's poor. Uh, so that got me started in the world of humanitarian work, and that was now in 2000. So it's been 22 years since that time. And I have oh to tell you, it's been a deeply satisfying and just an exhilarating journey. That's fabulous. That's great. Well, look, tell us about how did you find Opportunity International? What is Opportunity International? And how, what's the origins of Opportunity International? And how does it work? Wonderful question. So let me start with, you know, opportunities is we, we are an international charity that focuses on the people living on the very, very bottom of the economic pyramid. And how do you get them to, you know, we define uh, poverty is defined in economic terms uh, than economic poverty needs an economic solution. And uh, really the most effective solution is sustainable livelihoods. 
So we work with uh, poor families around the world now in 30 countries to help them provide them financial services and then training and support, that triad of services, to help them you know, start small businesses, or get skills, and to start and to earn a living. And that's what we have done since we started. Our uh, first client, and we happen to know the name, uh, was, a, was a spice seller on the streets of Cali, Colombia, 1971. And our founder, Al Whitaker, comes across him. And, uh, you know, Al's a businessman, American businessman. And he said, well, what this guy needs is, is to improve. Uh, he, he needs to sell more. And the way to sell more is to invest more capital in his business. And asks uh, uh, Carlos what he needs. Carlos says, I need a spice grinder. If I can, you know, sell ground spices, uh, uh, I'll get more money than selling raw spices. Well, how much does it cost? Oh, it costs $68. All right. I'm not going to give you a charity. I'm not going to give you a handout. I'm going to give you a hand up. I'm going to give you a loan. Uh, and why? Because now you get the discipline of running a business and paying back my capital. And, oh, by the way, here's my friend Ralph. And really, he was Ralph Ensinger, who's going to now call you every week and collect the loan money and check how you're doing and give you advice, how to run your business. Long story short, within two years' time, Carlos has gone from selling spices on the street, sitting on a, on a rag, to having a, a store which has got five employees. Ten years' time, you know, history tells us he's got 57 employees in multiple stores, right? And, and Carlos then sells that business. Uh, Dan, I call it the first IPO in, in, in Colombian history, and goes back to actually help the people he'd come from, becomes a consultant for opportunity to, to help others start small businesses. So that's been our founding stories from that one client in 1971. We closed last year with 54 million loans. 250 million people impacted over 51 years, 20 plus billion dollars loaned out. And along the way now, in addition to obviously financing uh, and helping finance small families, we've got now things in act finance. We now have education and I'll talk more about that, but the remit and the impact has grown. So that's been our story. It's been just a story of saying, hey, the livelihood development is best done, uh, giving people a hand up. It is best done in the marketplace and working for yourself when you are unskilled and semi-literate and having an income is the most effective way uh, to, to really get you out of poverty. So that's been our story and it, it continues to, to be not only relevant, but to bring uh, real help to people at the bottom of the pyramid even today. Well, and so would you say your theory of change is about providing loans and support and networks and expertise and maybe some education and training? Is that sort of the, the gist of it is what it sounds like? Yes, it does. It's the three things that have been uh, absolutely core to the strategy when it comes to theory of change is uh, financial services, financial support, uh, by way of a loan and uh, then training specifically in things like business training, uh, literacy training, financial training, now, you know, life skills training, and then ongoing support. We realized early on that nobody really lives uh, life by themselves. We live within a community, within a fabric of, of a social construct. And, you know, whether your life or, Dan, or mine, Dan, when we look at that, we'll discover all of us ha had support along the way. So the poor need that too. So we, we, we do that. And, you know, the way we have provided this, though, if you go from the theory of change to the how, is interesting and illustrative about uh, opportunity. We started with one loan to one, one person, 
you know, Al Whitaker to, to Carlos with $68. A few years later, we said, oh, well, from one to one, that seems like a rather inefficient model. We should think about one to many. And so we started with, okay, well, how do you give group loans? Uh, and just about the time that uh, Professor Yunus is coming with the, the idea of trust groups in Bangladesh, our teams came up with that idea in, in El Salvador and in the, in, in the Central American uh, region. And we started giving loans to, to one too many. Soon enough, we discovered, oh, giving loans, group loans, if women seem to be better for managing group loans than men are. Now, don't ask me why, because I'm a man. It turns out indeed that's the case, is that uh, today 90 plus percent of our worldwide clients, and we, we ended last year with about 20 million clients, are women. Uh, so we got into trust group loans. Well, uh, loans are not enough. When people actually start to earn a living, they want to save the money and, and not just bury it in a tin can in the house. Or well, let's go to set up savings accounts in banks. Banks don't want loan depositors with $5, $10, $20. All right, we're going to set up savings banks. So we started actually savings banks in Central America. Eventually, you know, actually working with the U.S. government, expanded that to Eastern Europe when the Berlin Wall started coming down and those economies started opening up and then eventually down to Africa. Uh, well, if they have savings, they have loans, they're earning a living, they're running small businesses, catastrophe happens. There's no insurance. Well, if there isn't, let's set up our own insurance agency. So we came up with the concept of microinsurance. Literally, the world's first insurance agency was set up by microinsurance by opportunity. Eventually exited that when it got to a size where we, we are not an insurance company. We are a nonprofit focused on the poor. Sold that business to, to uh, French insurers, uh, 66 million policies, and now they're up to hundreds of millions. So it, it, that story just kind of now, you know, after that, we said, all right, these ladies are now earning a living. They have money. They're, they're putting food on, on the floor. They've got better roofs over their heads. They want to send their children to school. There aren't any schools. So we got into uh, about 10 years back in, into the business of financing low-cost uh, private schools. These are schools with you know $5, $8 a month uh, uh, fees. And uh, as in the last 10 years, 38,000 schools which are now, you know, over 10 million children have gone through those schools in 29 countries uh, where uh, both Opportunity and our partner banks have provided funding of hundreds of millions of dollars. So it's, uh, and the latest now is, is uh, agricultural finance, smallholder farmers, the very poorest. You know, Dan, of the 700 million people left on the planet earning less than $2 a day, it's two fifteen now, uh, extremely poor. About 80% we estimate are smallholder farmers. So how do you now work with these farmers at the bottom of the pyramid to help them grow more and get more? So that's where our focus is, is now, you know, not shifting, but adding to. That's amazing. Tell us about some of the countries where Opportunity International works. We are uh, present in 30 countries, uh, but our focus areas, if you will, are currently in 11. And, um, you know, as you would guess, is uh, sub-Saharan Africa is a big part of that. Ghana, Nigeria, DRC, Rwanda, Uganda, Ethiopia, Malawi, uh, Mozambique, obviously uh, my home country of India, uh, Indonesia is, is a focus area, and then we have uh, Colombia and Nicaragua. So we, we are spread across the three continents with the major focus being in, in uh, Asia and then uh, you know, Sub-Saharan Africa. 
who supports your great work? I can imagine you have individual donors who are small donors, but I also can imagine you have significant other donors who are more generous. Do you have companies? Are there philanthropy? Do you work with governments? All of the above, Dan. We've been very fortunate and very blessed over the years that uh, we've had a a number of donors. And I should say that uh, our first donor was actually, believe it or not, was the U.S. government. You know, Al Whitaker, uh, this is in 1971, uh, approached, uh, you know, USAID to say, I've got this big idea. I want to set up, I've given out my first loan and a few, few, and I want to, you know, set up uh, something called the Institute for International Development, IIDI, which was the organization that later became Opportunity. And, uh, you know, folks at the USAID who were far thinking then, and I don't, I'm sad I don't know the person's name and the division that took the decision, they gave him a $50,000 grant. So our first donor, I mean, literally, that $50,000 is now translated to, Dan, it's $21 billion of support to the people around the world and, you know, So that's been our journey. And along the way, we have now had major philanthropists, private philanthropists, private donors, American families. They continue thousands of them who support us. About 65% of our total revenues come from individuals. 35% comes from corporations and foundations. We have, you know, Amway has been a donor. Cisco recently funded us with uh, millions of dollars of grants where their focus was on, okay, well, if you, you can use digital networks uh, to, to create jobs uh, uh, for people. And we've just finished a project going into the next year where over the last five years, uh, you know, Cisco support, we've generated 3 million jobs uh, in, in the developing world for uh, the, the extremely poor. We have had Credit Suisse, a, a, you know, has been a donor. Milliman, an actuarial firm based here in Chicago and Seattle. Yeah. So UPS Foundation, the Gates Foundation, Visa, MasterCard. We've really been fortunate in, in the spread of our donors. Well, that's fantastic. Well, Atul, it's really great to connect with you. It sounds really, what you're doing is so inspiring And it's very, you know, we talk a lot about sustainability in the development business. We talk about scale and you've, you've obviously had, you know, impact at scale and you've done things that have, you know, sustainability and, and have are is a solutions based approach to, to solving problems. What a great mission. What a great organization. I'm so happy to have you on today, Atul. This is just inspiring. It's really great stuff. Thank you so much, Dan. You know, I, I visit our clients is when I get the most inspired. I should tell you the story, share you with one story of, uh, I call her Linda the Baker, one of my most favorite clients. And this is in Accra, Ghana. And I first met Linda, I would say in about 2018. And it's now been about four years. When I met her, uh, she was running a bakery. And, and the bakery actually had a factory and she had, you know, 63 employees and, and, and baking, you know, literally thousands of loaves of bread. Well, Linda had started and she showed me a photograph. She said, I started under a tree with one oven. And her mother was a vegetable seller and, uh, you know, with a nearby cart and uh, Linda's young lady. Mother had saved a bit of money and sent Linda off to baking school and had, you know, bought some amount of money to, to let her buy an oven. And Linda was baking six loaves of bread a day. Well, you know, along comes uh, uh, Opportunities Loan Officer then, and we have a bank in Ghana, Opportunity Savings and Loan Bank and OISL. So the loan officer comes and looks at what she's doing and says, you know what, you should grow this business. You've got one oven, 
six loaves, why don't we get you alone so you can go from one to, to, to five ovens and ten ovens? Well, Linda first thought, well, this fellow is a young fellow. I'm not even sure that this is all legit. Asks her mom. Mom says, no, Opportunity Bank is legit. Go walk in there. Linda had never been to a bank before. Never. Walks in and walks out with a loan. Well, long story short, when I met her, this was about four years into her work. She had gone from one oven to one factory. She had gone from six loaves of bread a day to 6,000 loaves of bread a day. 63 employees who she employed had a dorm and houses them and feeds them. These were men and women coming from very poor families. 80 vendors, eight zero women like her who pick up the bread on, on you know, literally flat boards, put it on, on their heads and walk around the marketplace to sell the bread. So that's her distribution system. And the result is she's now generating jobs for over 100 people. She's selling bread and obviously is, is able to bring up her family. But COVID comes down. And this to me is a, you know, exemplifies in many ways the story of opportunity. And I called her, I said, how's it going? She said, well, uh, because of the local regulations, marketplaces are closed. I've gone from 80 vendors to just five. Now God, she had just a handful of employees left. So I said, well, what are you going to do? She said, well, I'm going to survive. You know, this is not going to stop me and I want to come back. But my sisters, the ladies who distribute my bread are not. So I said, what are you going to do about that? She said, well, I made a promise to them that they won't go hungry. So I'm going to, to, to bake bread every day. And for all those 80 women, I've told them they can come to my bakery and, and pick up any, the bread that is enough for their families so they can feed the families. And so I'm going to stay to, to make sure that they don't, they, they don't go hungry. And I want you a tool to make sure that my business doesn't go down. So that was her challenge. And I said, we're going to stay with you, Linda. And sure, we did. And, you know, when COVID comes, we come out of COVID, markets, places started opening. We extended Linda a loan to restart our business. And then I'm, I'm delighted to tell you that instead of one factory now in, in uh, you know, as we sit here in November 22, she's got two. That is, to me, the story of opportunity. What an amazing story. I mean, it also speaks to the incredible potential of entrepreneurship and the human spirit. I mean, there's unlimited human potential in all the focused countries where you where you work and you Opportunity International taps into that. I just think it's fantastic. Thank you so much. In fact, that is our very mission that you just uh, quoted back at me is uh, a world in which all people have the opportunity to achieve a life free from poverty with dignity and purpose. It's really been a joy to be able to do that and do that, as you said, sustainably and scalably. And I should mention that one of the defining features, which in the last five years, as we changed our business model, we used to own and operate banks. And then we realized, oh, there's lots of local bankers who want to put out you know, funds into the local market. We know the customer. We know the client. We know what they need. We understand the local market. Why don't we help local banks do the local credit extension? So the result of that is, Dan, when our philanthropic dollars, you would ask the question, well, how much of the philanthropic dollars gets to the field? My answer would be, well, instead of the, the every dollar that Dan Grundy might give to us, actually $10 of capital is released in the field and 10 mm -hmm. times the leverage. And we do that simply by getting local banks, providing them the technical expertise, but providing them the, the customer knowledge and the product and services they need to actually give loans. And then we essentially sort of embed our own teams into the banks to do the lending. 
and alongside for the for our farmers, for our local entrepreneurs, for the schools, we then have uh, uh, our staff who go in and help them with everything from how do you run the school better, how do you improve the quality, of, how do you train the teachers better to to educate well. How do you help farmers to grow more? And then how do you help entrepreneurs to do better? We provide direct support and training services to, to, to our clients. So that mix multiplier of the capital and, and then the training and support that comes from trusted advisors. You know, for us, the sustainability at the bottom of the pyramid of, of our clients, I would say about four out of five clients in India have reported increases in income. You know, 90 plus percent of our farmers in Mozambique Women farmers uh, have reported even you know multiple years uh, in, in increases in both crop yields and, and incomes, and I think the story repeats itself in in Ghana and Uganda. So it's really been uh, you know for us uh, a, a model that is now ready to scale. Well, Atul, this has been great. I want to thank you so much for coming on Building the Future with Dan Rundy. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. And when you're next in DC, let's get together. Thank you. Bye for now. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 